sermon. So uh, I trust that you'll keep that in mind when you hear the message that God's laid on my heart this morning. A lot of information in your bulletin. I trust you've read it carefully so you don't miss out on anything. Adult ministries for the summer. Make sure you read both sides of that so you'll see some options that you may have. Uh, food bank coming up. VBS is starting. You saw the video clip at the beginning. Registration started last Sunday morning, continuing today, June the 24th to the 28th. And uh, as an insert about all the help that they need, as well as specifically uh, for some of the snacks that we provide for the three or 400 kids that are here that night. Summer reading program is starting. Registration is today, so make sure you see someone out there as well for that. I know it's a little late since we already took the offering this morning, but if indeed you brought this back with you, I hope you dropped it in the offering plate this morning. If not, you uh, can leave it with uh, someone in the back, one of the ushers. They have a place that they can place it after the service this morning. Every other year in the Christian and Missionary Alliance, which you and I are a part of in this particular church, we gather together as missionaries, lay delegates, and pastors from around the world. And that, that begins this week. It's in Tampa, Florida. And uh, this particular week, we would really covet your prayers. Connie and I leave right after the second service. I won't even be here to say amen. I have to be at the airport so fast today. Uh, board of Directors, which I am on, or Board of Managers of the CMA starts tomorrow. Council starts Tuesday night. We've got some folks from our staff here that are going, some lay delegates, and again, people from all over the country. The biggest prayer issue this week is not only that God will speak to us, it's that one week a year where I get to sit and enjoy and relax and have nothing to do after the meetings are over on Monday and Tuesday, but absorb and listen to God. And uh, it's fun to go to a service that you have no planning in and no involvement and hear uh, speakers speak, and they're bringing in some phenomenal, powerful speakers this week for us to hear. And so we really appreciate your prayers. This week we're electing a new president of the Christian Missionary Alliance. So uh, we need God's individual, we need God's person, God's man for that job. So pray that God will work in really powerful ways. I have no idea who it will be. Won't find out probably till Tuesday or, or till Wednesday. And then the election is Thursday afternoon. So please pray that God will lead us in the right direction as a denomination and that God's man will be in place uh, starting this year. A lot of you have been through those transition times in your life where your students, your young people are transitioning from college to high school or high school to college, from college to a master's program. Some of them like school so much, they just continue to go. And others are out into the career level. Every year at this particular time, a lot of families have gone through that. And so I just love for a few moments this morning to recognize those in our audience. So if the house lights could come up a little bit more, who are going through those next steps of their lives. If you graduated from high school in the last couple of weeks, even by the skin of your teeth, would you please stand this morning? Graduated from high school, and uh, anybody here? All right, they're probably in the second, first service. We've got a couple over here. Stay standing for a minute, Bob. Stay standing. You graduated from college. Stand. Some of you graduated from college. All right, we've got a few here. All right, good deal. How about a master's program? Stay standing. Anybody got their master's doctorate? We had three people from our church congregation receive their doctorates in the last few weeks. Anybody? Congratulate them. Stay standing for a minute, but congratulate them. That is a huge step and an incredible opportunity. And I'm going to talk to you this morning. Everybody else gets the chance to hear it. Let me pray for you. Father, these who are standing this morning are going into another chapter of their lives. Whatever that looks like, I trust that you will bless them. 
We thank you for the experience they've had among our family here at Community Alliance Church over the last number of years. Whatever involvement they may have had, I trust that we have been an influence on them. And I trust more than anything else that you have been a part of their lives and have been their Savior and their Lord, their director, their advisor. We trust that they will now continue to seek your advice and direction for this next chapter or next phase of their lives. Bless them in phenomenal ways as they continue to explore all the things that you have for them. For some who start college in the fall, who are starting careers, who are taking more classes and going into the next level, some who are wondering where that next chapter will lead them, I trust that they feel your presence in really wonderful ways. God, we thank you for the influence that we've been able to have on them and the influence they will have on many other people throughout their lives and their journey. So watch over them, walk with them, and may the joy of Christ and the joy of the journey be theirs in this next chapter of their lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Congratulations. Very much so. And for you families. For you families as well. Did most of you go to a graduation ceremony of some kind throughout your years? I mean, at some point or the other, you had a child graduate. You went to some grandsons or grandchild's uh, graduation ceremony. You've heard all kinds of speeches, all kinds of phrases. Most of the time, they narrow it down into some sort of a phrase, follow your heart, make a difference, follow your dreams. You can be anything you want to be, which, by the way, isn't always true. We've been telling our kids that for years, but they really can't be anything they want to be. But they really do have dreams and aspirations. They have all kinds of things that they would love to see God do in their lives. All of the advice that they've been receiving over the last number of weeks and months and years is great advice. A lot of it directed at a better life, pleasing yourself, <coughs> finding fulfillment or getting ahead. Which in and of themselves can be okay. But if those things are our primary motives, they can be somewhat self-serving. As followers of Jesus, and I'm making an assumption that we are this morning, there ought to be a remarkable difference in what we believe is important. Where we get our advice, what we pursue, where we seek advice, and who we want to please. When I began putting this series together in Thessalonians, I recognized that there were certain segments that were going to fit at very appropriate times in our journey with God. Now, what I really sensed I wanted to do this year and in this particular series is speak to all of us. So when I talked that particular Sunday morning about living a life that you wanted to imitate, and it was on Mother's Day, that was to all of us. Never dreaming that when I talked about living through the difficulties and unusual circumstances and disappointments of life that so many people would be walking through that valley, as we saw a couple of weeks ago when so many of our people stood and raised their hands and we prayed for one another. Here this morning when I recognized that many families were celebrating special graduations or next chapter events in their lives, I found myself a few weeks ago looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and thinking what a powerful section of Scripture for them and for all of us as we really do want to make sure that we live a life that pleases God. Whether it be those graduating or those of us in the workplace, whatever level of life God has brought us to, we want to live a life as followers of Christ that please Him. And so when I looked at this section of Scripture, I recognized this is not only applicable to them, to those who are graduating, but to all of us as we live our lives. I want you to turn this morning to 1 Thessalonians. I'm going to read the first 12 verses of chapter 4. 
All of you need to be there. This is a powerful section of Scripture. It says a lot about all of us and to all of us. And I want to go through it pretty methodically this morning and then begin to unpack it. New Testament, most of the way in through, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. Now, that's a great start, isn't it? That's, I'd want to know that. How to live in order to please God. As a matter of fact, you are doing it. He's encouraging them. Now, we ask you and we urge you. You can see the intensity now in Paul, Timothy, and Silas as they're writing this. We ask you, we urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ to continue to do this. Do it more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will. Now, you'd want to know that, right? It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each one of you should learn to control your own body in a way that's honorable and holy, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or, should wrong or take advantage of a brother or a sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins. As we told you and warned you before, for God didn't call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction doesn't reject a human being. Look how powerful this is. Anyone who rejects this instruction doesn't reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now about your love for each other, we don't need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. In fact, you... Do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. We urge you, brothers and sisters, do it more and more. Now make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Mind your own business. Work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. Now that's a great section of Scripture, not only for those who are taking that next chapter of their lives or that step, but for all of us. I want to go through it this morning in a little bit more detail. There are dozens and dozens of sections of Scripture that give us phenomenal advice on how to live a life pleasing to God, how to pursue His will, how to follow His will. As a follower of Jesus looking for device or advice and direction, I encourage you to be in the Word. But today we're dealing with this one. One of the things that you will always notice in Paul's writings is that he gives us a great blend between theology and practicality. This is what God has done. This is what you now do. This is what God has provided. This is how you flesh it out. This is what God is offering you. This is how you live it out. Some churches exercise or emphasize doctrine over how you live and some lifestyle over theology. Christianity is a combination of both. Belief and behavior. What I believe and how I live it out. Your belief will determine your behavior. What you believe will always influence how you live your life. What you believe will always influence how you live your life. Let me give you a couple of examples. If I really believe that when life is over and I will stand before Almighty God and give an account of how I lived, Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that will determine how I live my life. If I really do believe that I will give an account of how I've lived my life and I will stand before Almighty God, that will make a difference in how I live my life. If I really believe that people without Jesus are lost for all eternity, then that will cause me or encourage me to want to share my faith. If I really believe that, 
Now, if I believe that God's going to take everyone to heaven and God would never send anyone to hell, then it really won't matter. But if I really do believe that people without Christ are lost and lost eternally, then I'm going to share my faith with other people. Once I come to faith in Christ, once you and I both come to faith in Christ, we live a different life. Paul says, I want to live one that pleases God. You see, Scripture isn't just information or more information. It is what I do with it, the impact that it has on my life. Information alone isn't powerful enough to transform behavior. Let me give you an example. Smoking can lead to cancer. Adultery destroys families. Texting and driving can cause an accident. Tell me, does knowing those things change everyone's behavior? Do people still text and drive? Do people still smoke? Do people still commit adultery? Yes. Just knowing those things doesn't necessarily change their lives. Just the information in and of itself doesn't change their behavior. It's what I do with that information. It's how I base that information. It's who I base that information on and how it impacts my life. Paul begins in a foundation based on our relationship with God and our relationship with Jesus Christ. I urge you, live a life in order to please whom? God. I urge you to live a life in order to please God. In fact, you are doing it. I ask you and I urge you more in Jesus Christ or in the Lord Jesus to do it more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of Christ to live a life that will please God. King James Version of chapter 1, uh, verse 1 says how we ought to walk and please God. Walking was one of the most common means of moving about in the ancient world. Hebrews were found often referring to one's entire life as a walk. Old Testament character Enoch, it simply says, Enoch walked with God. One of the highest affirmations of the quality of his life, the same tribute is paid to Noah. People of God were commanded to walk in all the ways of the Lord your God, that it may be well with you and that you may live long. The best-known psalm, Psalm 23, the psalmist portrays suffering and sorrow as a walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The strength offered by the psalm is that God is walking with us. For many of us, though, life has become more of a run than a walk. A walk is a way of being alone, a way of reflecting, a way of allowing God to speak, slowing down the pace of my life, determining that that walk then will please God. We so often think that we're pleasing God in the fast pace of our various activities when at times the slowness of life and the solitude of life is really an opportunity for God to speak to us. Verse 3, this is the will of God. Now, as a follower of Christ, that's something I'd want to know, right? Jesus said, I've come to do the will of the one who sent me. It was important to Jesus, it needs to be important to me. One aspect of that will here in Thessalonians is that you and I should be sanctified. The word means to be holy, to be set apart. Not to be a monk in a monastery, but a person who really understands the call of God in my life. That God, you have loved me, you have died for me, you have given me life, you have forgiven all of my sins, you have given me the promise of eternal life. Because of all that you have done for me, I want to live a life that pleases you. I want to present myself to you. I've separated myself from the way of life that I used to live. I'm not going after my own desires, my own dreams, my own plans, following what the world says I ought to be. I, I make myself available to you. Here I am, God. I want to be used by you today, this week in my life. How can I serve you? 
It's a call to discipleship. Our purpose statement in our bulletin every week talks about the word transformation or uses the word transformation, people who are transformed by faith. Not just come to faith in Christ, but to be changed. Sanctification is a call to discipleship, not a requirement for salvation. But once I cross that line into following Jesus, then the one thing that I want to do is to set myself in a position or a place where he can speak to me and I can make myself available to him. Note this call to holiness or sanctification is also a call to purity. You see that? Look down. Don't look at me. Look down. See that in what it says? A call to purity and a call, a call to fidelity. Call specifically says God wants us to be sanctified. He also wants us to avoid sexual immorality. Greek word is pornea, which we get the word porn. It's any form of sexual immorality, prostitution, homosexuality, fornication, which is sex before marriage, adultery, sex outside of marriage. He concentrates specifically, interestingly enough, in this area, knowing that sexual sin is not only destructive, but an incredibly powerful force. It draws, it entices, it's addictive, and it sells. Every four minutes during primetime television, major characters display that kind of activity or talk openly about sex. During the May sweeps, almost in any given year, over 3,600 ads are given and shared for R-rated movies. 70% of those born between 1977 and 1994 say they lost their virginity before marriage. 33% of 8 to 11-year-olds talk about the pressure that it has on them. The revenue from the pornographic industry is larger than the combined revenues of baseball, basketball, and professional football. The average age of a child's first experience to pornography is 11 Largest consumers are those between 12 and 17. 90% of 8 to 16-year-olds have viewed it online, most of them while they're doing their homework. Over half of Christians acknowledge that pornography is one of the major problems in their home. It's all over the place. And before you think Paul doesn't know what he's talking about, it's all over the place in the Greek and Roman culture that Paul is writing to. Roman and Greek spas were filled with immoral activity. And Paul knew that it was a very enticing, very destructive part of our journey if we decide to disobey God's plan and disobey God's word. It specifically deals with in the book of Corinthians, where he says, in essence, you can't do whatever you feel like doing, especially in the sexual arena, and understand that it doesn't have consequences. Immorality has consequences. It destroys the body. It destroys relationships. It is enslaving. In health class, they teach us that it's a purely physical act. Remember health class when we deeded over to the schools the privilege of teaching sex to our children? One of my biggest concerns with sex education in school is not that they tell them too much. I used to think that if they told them too much, their minds would work overtime. Then I started working with kids, and I found that they already knew everything. It wasn't that they tell them too much, it's that they tell them too little. You see, health class is reducing it to a physical act. And the consequences of being active is pregnancy or disease. The problem with that is that sex gets reduced to a discussion of anatomy, that it's all physical. It's so much more than that. It's a union of two bodies. It's a union of two souls. When you go back to the very first discussion, 
when the creator of the universe comes to the man and the woman, he looks at them and says, I have an amazing gift for you. For that reason, a man will leave his father and mother in Genesis chapter 2 and be united to his wife and they'll be one flesh. It was never expected or never intended to be something exploited, something dirty, or something that teenagers experience with. It is a gift from God reserved for the matter relationship. It is a fusing of our soul to someone else. And when you understand that, then you understand what Jesus meant century later in Matthew 19. When he quoted a verse in Genesis and then said, what God had joined together, no man can separate. We say it at weddings. I said it yesterday in a wedding that I did. It wasn't meant to be a warning. Now that you're married in church, don't ever get separated. It wasn't a warning. Now that you get married before God, don't let a judge dissolve it. What he was stating in that was an axiomatic law of reality. Similar to the law of gravity. You jump off a building, you're going to hit the ground. It's a law. You don't get to vote on it. It just is. When you're joined together physically, he says, you're joined in your soul, and no one can pull that apart. It's the way God designed it. That's why he reserved it for marriage. It's as though two tributaries flow into one river, and you're asked a mile down the stream to pull out water from one tributary and separate it from the water of the other. You can't do that. They're fused. That's why it's reserved for marriage. That's why the woman at the well in John chapter 4, after five men, was still so empty. Her soul was empty because she kept giving and leaving a part of herself with someone else. They don't tell our kids that in seventh grade health class, do they? Society doesn't tell them that either. They tell them that all you're giving away is a part of your body, but it's a lie. You're giving away a piece of your soul. It is an axiomatic law of the universe. I've given this example before, but it's probably still the best that I know. Let's say it's five degrees below zero today, and after the service, somewhere along the way, you go outside, and every student, every kid, every child, I know I have done this, has tested to see whether or not it really works. When you see that metal pole out there, and you saliva your tongue as, as much as you can get on it, and then you lick the pole until it freezes. And then you stay there for just a moment to see if it really is going to happen. And then they walk away. When they walk away, they leave a part of themselves behind. That's a physical picture of the reality of what I'm saying. Someone says, I'll just fuse myself to someone else and then walk away, not without leaving a part of yourself behind. Sex is the outworking, the physical experience of a reality so profound that it's rooted in the nature of God. It is an intimate, permanent connection between maleness and femaleness that is irrevocable that leaves a part of ourselves with someone else. Which is why sexual purity is so important and something incredibly beautiful to be reserved only for marriage. Of all the things that Paul could have talked about in regards to living a life that pleases God, and making sure that we understand what it means to be sanctified, to set apart, to make myself available to God. This is the thing that he talks about the most because he understands how powerful of a drive it is. Look at one of the ways Paul says to stay pure. Verse 4. Each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in a passionate lust like the pagans who don't know God, and that in this matter, no one should take wrong or should wrong or take advantage of a brother and a sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins. And we told you and we warned you before. Notice where he places the burden of responsibility. 
on the individual. Guys, we've got to quit blaming it on the way women dress. Get help if you need it. And women help us and quit dressing like Daisy Duke. The sex drive is one of the most powerful drives in humans. Psychologists say that the stimulant that triggers in the brain is the same one triggered by cocaine and heroin. It is powerful and difficult to control once it's started, especially for men. In health class, they teach that it's an act of the body. It is so much more than that. It is giving away, especially for women, a piece of their soul to someone else. And the more they do that within the wrong context, the more of themselves it's given away. And the less they have to give to a whole healthy relationship within the context of marriage. You give it away in a sexual relationship before marriage or through pornography or getting too close to someone at work or in the neighborhood, which can lead down that road, you're always going down a path that leads to destruction. God says, don't do that. For God didn't call us, verse 7, to be impure, but to live a holy life. Anyone who rejects the instructions that I give you doesn't reject me, Paul is saying. You're rejecting God. Not because God is a killjoy. He wants to protect this great institution that he designed called marriage. Those of you who happen to be going into the next chapter of your life, especially if it's college or a career and you're not married yet, you're going to face that challenge and temptation every single day of your life. Trust me. Paul says, I want you to live a life that pleases God. I want you to stay pure especially within the realm of our sexuality. It is such an unbelievably destructive force that is so prevalent in Paul's day and even more so a thousand times more in our day. I want to pray for your kids. I want to pray for those who graduated, those who are going into the next chapter of their lives, those who aren't married yet. You pray for them in this arena because it is huge. The temptation is overwhelming. And it's out there everywhere. Paul says, you want to live a life that pleases God? Guard your morality. Guard your morality with everything you have. He goes on with the second element in verse 9. Similar to the command of Jesus. Jesus took the Ten Commandments and narrowed them down to two. Love God with every fiber of your being. Your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. You get the tie-in? Paul's not going another direction. He's basically expounding on a similar thing. Your soul is what you want to love God with. That's where you want to get your strength from. And love people. Treat them well. Women well, men well. Treat them well. Without a doubt, one of the greatest reflections of our love for God is the way we treat people. One of the greatest reflections of our love for God is the way we treat people and how we look at people. Paul says, do it with love and respect. He encourages them because they're already doing it. He said, I want you to, I want you to continue to do that well. And then in verse 11, he makes an interesting twist. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Mind your own business. Work with your hands. Ambition for a lot of people is a huge drive in their lives. There's nothing wrong with it. It always depends on our motives. To make a lot of money, to be successful, to make a name for yourself. Nothing wrong with success and money. 
but it's what you have to trade for them to get them. And many people, it's their soul. I love people who donate huge sums of money to something, but don't have to have their name on it. It doesn't intrigues me when people do that. I'm nothing wrong. It's not downing those who do. But it always intrigues me when people donate huge sums of money to a ministry or an organization or a college or whatever that may be and don't have to have a plaque. You know, we're Community Alliance Church. Did you notice that? You see any plaques anywhere that says what people have done? We're Community Alliance Church. And, and we're all in this together. And I love Paul's encouragement in this particular context. Guard your ambition. Guard the things that drive you. Make it your ambition, verse 11, to lead a quiet life. Mind your own business. Work with your hands. Takes a similar approach in 2 Thessalonians when he said, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, keep away from every believer who's idle and disruptive, who doesn't live according to the teaching that you receive from us. You know the example that we want you to follow. We weren't idle when we were with you. We didn't eat any man's food. The contrary, we worked day and night, laboring and toiling so that we weren't a burden for it with anyone. We do this not because we have a right to, without a right to help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you. For the one who is unwilling to work shouldn't eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They're not busy. They're busy bodies. Such people we command and urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down. I love what Timothy says in Timothy 2. He says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because they produce quarrels and mean nothing. Point, don't be lazy and dependent. Work hard. Which is the, and the ultimate goal, look at verse 12. So that in my daily life, I will win the respect of those outside of the family of God. You want great advice for the next chapter of your life? All over the word of God. Paul gives it in really specific ways. Do what you do for the right reasons. Honor your body in the way God intended it to be honored. Protect the one thing that's probably the largest drive in your life, and that is your sexuality, your morality. Place it at the foot of the cross and allow God to so saturate your life that you really, really will determine to live a life that pleases him. You see, this is for all of us. It's not just for those who graduated, for every single one of us. I want to live a life that pleases God. I want him to be pleased with how I've lived my life, how I've used my abilities, and how I've protected my sexuality, my morality. I trust that's your desire too. Father, I thank you again for the privilege of your word, for the power of what it has for us and the way it speaks to us. We give you our lives. We give you our, our thoughts a lot of things that are possibly racing through our minds because we've shared a lot of information in a short amount of time. But Father, as your spirit begins to speak, I trust that you will permeate our thinking and allow this to not just simply be words on a page or more information on top of more information, but an opportunity for transformation where I really will make it my ambition to please you in every area of my life and hopefully allow others to be drawn to the Jesus that's made such a difference in my life. Continue to speak to us and walk with us, we pray in this journey in Jesus' name.
Sing like men. 